0: Listening to another episode. This is the eighth episode of Music and We. I am Jamila. And I'm Jester. And we are so happy to be with you once again. We hope you have enjoyed the previous episodes and today's dedication. Jesse's gonna gonna take this one.
1: Yeah, well, I wanted to dedicate this to Duke Ellington because I've been in my Duke Ellington kick lately listening to just his compositions, and I just found myself dancing and smiling and spinning and jumping just realizing how much i appreciate you know a good composition and duke ellington is just a g Uh, i mean he's amazing and just thinking about his contribution excited me so i wanted to dedicate it to him because it's crazy when you think okay he was born in 1899 so he was born at a time right when because i believe audio engineering was in 1877 or around that time so he i'm just glad that he was at the time when music was first being you know recorded and understood so now we can listen to it years and years later and it sounds just as fresh (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah it's oh man and a sense of mood sentimental mood Solitude. That's what really yeah, got it for hi, me. Yeah. yeah, Did
0: you Did you ever hear the John Coltrane and Duke Ellington album? If you haven't, you need to hear that. Oh, yes, I have. I'm going to listen to that yes. one again,
1: actually. I yes. should listen to that again. That sounds yes. delicious.
0: Sounds <laughs> like a full
1: course meal.
0: <laughs> and then Ella Fitzgerald with Duke Ellington collection. Oh,
1: yes. I love yes. that. That's one of my yes. favorites. Ella Fitzgerald is just... We can dedicate it to her, too. Just... I
0: mean whew. let me tell you, Ella Fitzgerald is my favorite vocalist of yeah, all.
1: There's no time. Yeah. Ella is ooh,
0: ooh, ooh. and ooh. there was the Sammy Davis Jr. sixtieth anniversary special and she came Michael out Michael
2: Jackson
1: came yes, out with Michael
0: it. Michael Jackson and Eddie Murphy. That and was I said,
1: nice.
0: Michael Jackson with Ella Fitzgerald. Ah!
1: <laughs> no, that's a, that. I love that seeing that clip because she she passed away not long ago after that.
0: Yeah.
1: So it's yeah. uh you know just as on a side note, this is one thing I do appreciate about Michael is that he honored the people that came before him. So you think of Ella, you think of Sammy Davis, you think of any of the old Hollywood peeps. He was um, learning from them, obviously, Absolutely. just like a sponge, and always saying, Yeah, I got it from them. or Oh, yeah, this person taught me this. He never took all of it for just his own hard uh, work, which obviously he did do. But he clearly was like, Oh, yeah, these are the people that helped shape famous musicology.
0: <laughs> yes. <laughs> Absolutely. The thing with Michael, he always said that africa was the place of inspiration for him but i take issue with the fact that he called africa a country on more than one occasion and i just oh shit did he yeah yes him and his brothers did that and i just wanted to reach through and go what are you talking about (laughs) (laughs) yeah So I I just think that's the U.S. education educational system, you know. Mm-hmm. I don't know, <laughs> and they were homeschooled, so they should know better. But maybe yeah, no, I'm they about didn't. to say
1: you can't blame it on. They <laughs> said country. It's 54
0: countries in Africa. <laughs> no, no, but yeah. Africa's a country. <laughs> I know, but the fact I mean, did they
1: acknowledge it at least as a continent? <laughs>
0: michael has acknowledged africa as a continent but he's also acknowledged it as a country and i'm like which one is it dude which one is it
1: come on now
0: come on now anyway but he did acknowledge africa as being the source of inspiration and the source of music so that's a good thing but you gotta get it right dude you gotta get it right it's not a country and far too many people make that mistake you're not right a america.
1: lot of people do they're very uneducated because a lot of people don't do geography a lot mm-hmm. of people wouldn't be able to even tell you how many states are in america if not <laughs> all 50 so i remember that that study and this is kind of deviating a bit but how most people thought chocolate milk i think it was over half percent i and,
0: saw that yeah I, mm-hmm. <laughs> if that tells you
1: one thing that's enough for me to not, you know oh well
0: People don't be going further than they <laughs> need to sometimes but um, Well, it's over now Drink your big black cow And get out of here <laughs> <laughs> Oh, nice. no Yeah, this is I mean, this is the way it goes Things are always interconnected here at Music and <laughs> Yeah,
1: exactly So the topic of today We, we wanted to talk about Race, ethnicity, class, all of those huge components to Michael and Prince.
0: Yes, indeed. The interconnectedness between in the situation between Prince and Michael, the interconnectedness of race, class. At some points, gender goes in there for obvious reasons. But you also have generational divides when it comes to how people see Prince and Michael. So we wanted to discuss that today. However, before we get into that, we had a discussion, our last half podcast, if you will, special episode dedicated to This Is It. If you listen to that, you already know how we feel about This Is It. But I wanted to talk about the past tours, the personnel on the past tours Because I still have a question. Why is it that some of these people have worked with Michael as an adult since the bad tour and still acted as if he was speaking a strange language? I don't understand. So we have for the bad tour. I'm not going to get into all the lawyers and the management and everything. I'm just talking about the musicians at this point. So I don't think any of the dancers were the same. I think the dancers were really the most different aspect of this is it show but Greg filling Gaines I think he was sorely missing from this process. I love Greg filling Gaines so much so I think he should be with everything that Michael does <laughs> yeah
1: name. it's a shame that Greg was not involved. It's kind of
0: well it my it my guess is that he was working on another project because I know around that time he was touring with Toto. He he was he was doing uh, music direction for a lot of shows. I got to
1: see Greg Philiggins for the um show that Michael the Immortal World Tour in uh. Oh yeah, he was he was. He was there. I saw him back, and he was he seemed to be really enjoying it too. Yeah. I love him.
0: He loved Michael too.
1: Yeah, he's he's really respectful.
0: Yeah, Yeah. I I really wish that uh, I had an opportunity to see him with Michael. Roy Kaplan, uh, Keyboards, uh, Christopher Curell, uh, Sinclair, Digital Sound and Guitar and Sound Effects. Ricky Lawson was the drummer for both the Bad and the Dangerous Tours. So Ricky Lawson has a little bit more of uh, jazz phrasing. So you heard a lot of syn- syncopation when you heard the songs, particularly on the Bad Tour. You heard a lot of that. I love it. Jennifer Batten. Rhythm and lead guitar. So I actually had an opportunity to perform with Jennifer Batten with myself and my dear friend, Barry Hampton, who's no longer here. And I still have not yet processed that. But we did a tribute for Michael. And Jennifer Batten was so kind enough to take part in that and do a few songs with us. And she is so sweet, such a sweet person. And I had the question too, when This Is It came out, I was just wondering why Jennifer Betton was not part of that, but I know that she was working on stuff as well. So that may be the case, or I don't even know if she was asked. I did not ask her that because that's a loaded question because it may have been that he didn't ask her. So it's something that I personally will never know unless someone exposes that. <laughs> and uh, John Clark was a lead in rhythm guitar Don Boyette, bass guitar and synth bass. The background vocals, Kevin Dorsey, Daryl Finesse, and Dorian Holly, who were in This Is It. Cheryl Crow, who was not in This Is It. <laughs> and and so we that's... thank
1: the Lord. No, I'm oh!
0: <laughs> Burn! No, All but... she want to do is have some fun. Leave her alone.
1: Right. <laughs> Walking on sunshine.
0: <laughs> ah! On the Santa Monica Boulevard. So now we go to the Dangerous tour personnel. You're going to see some of the same people. And so the Bad Tour, which is interesting, Michael actually co-directed the Bad Tour. And so he did a lot of work with the choreography and the direction of the shows. So as you go along, you see other people taking the reins of the direction. But I think with Michael handling the co-direction, it was like, okay, here I am. Here is my first solo tour. I'm gonna make it count. It's Michael Jackson, so no matter what he did, people were going to flock to it. But he really wanted to make it count, and it really did, <laughs> it really did count. <laughs> so for a dangerous tour personnel, and so the information you got was mostly for the October 1st, 1992 show, and I think. Some, some of the personal change said that, but I'm just going to read for what I see here. So Greg Filling Gaines, once again, musical director for The Dangerous Tour, which is why The Dangerous Tour was so good. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm just partial. I love Greg I Gaines. No, he's you're amazing. absolutely right
1: in that, too. And The Dangerous Tour was amazing because he played a huge hand in that. I'm glad that Michael and him worked together because yeah. they clearly had a bond and they worked
0: so well together. Yeah, Yeah. and they've worked together since the 70s, so it's, I think that bond was real. And Kevin Dorsey was the assistant musical director. Brad Buxer, who ended up being the musical director for the History Tour, was on the Dangerous Tour doing the keyboards and synthesizers. Ricky Lawson, again, was the drums and percussion. Jennifer Batten, again, lead and rhythm guitar. David Williams, R.I.P., lead and rhythm guitar. Don Boyette, bass, guitar, and synth bass. Dorian Holly, once again. vocal director and backing vocals. Kevin Dorsey, backing vocals. Saida Garrett, I don't care what anybody says. She was the best background singer on his tours. <laughs> and Daryl Finesse, backing vocals. I don't see how anyone could deny that. I just I think they had such chemistry. They had such chemistry. As you just said, you can't deny that. <laughs> oh my goodness so we have history and so again I'm just making this this note of the personnel just the musical personnel in particular on these tours because I still have a lot of questions why was there such a miscommunication between the dancers the crew the musicians for this is it I really have questions if somebody has an answer for me please let me know because I, I really don't <laughs> I don't grasp why it was such a misunderstanding. personal history. So uh, Travis Payne. Travis Payne was also on other tours. Lavelle Smith, of course. I think, uh, yeah, Lavelle Smith definitely wasn't for This Is It. So I'm wondering why Lavelle Smith was missing from This Is It. And I think he was a huge component of Michael's tours. But he was also missing. I just have questions. I don't know so there were all these people who were so excited but never worked with Michael as dancers and maybe there were a couple people I was missing that did work with him as dancers and I just don't remember but it seemed like all the people there were just significantly younger and never uh, worked with Michael and they may have worked on other tours I don't know Brad Buxer was the musical director for the history tour and so I think there was I don't you I think you said you didn't see it, but there was the date where he was with uh Marva Marva Hicks, and mm-hmm. he goes Brad what you gonna do what you gonna do because because Brad Buxer messed up and yeah they're no, that. I yeah that. <laughs> so that's like one of the reasons Marva Hicks kept singing because she Marva Hicks is a world renowned singer so it's amazing that she got to sing with Michael Jackson. But she was following the directions of the musical director, Brad Buxer. And Michael was increasingly getting mad with Brad because he wasn't following the cues. So he kept going, Brad, what you going to do? And then uh, he said, so a lot of people were saying, he said, uh, you're getting fired out of, out of something. <laughs> but he kept going, Brad, what you going to do? And that was the beginning. Now we have This Is It, where there was just miscommunication all around. So Brad Buxer, musical director. Kevin Dorsey, assistant musical director. Keyboards, Isaiah Sanders, Brad Buxer. Drums, Jonathan Moffat. So this was the first solo Michael tour where Jonathan Moffat played. And a huge component of the history tour, he was lip syncing.
2: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> there were
0: there was some of it where, obviously, he was singing live. Guitars, Jennifer Batten, Greg Howe, and David Williams. So David Williams was also part of this tour. Freddie Washington, world-renowned bassist on the bass. So this was Freddie Washington's first tour uh, with Michael, it looks like. Kevin Dorsey, vocal director. The vocals, Kevin Dorsey, Dorian Holly, Marva Hicks, Daryl Finesse, and Fred White. So not the drummer of Earthman and Fire. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, again, these same people, Dorian Holly and Daryl Finesse in particular, have worked with Michael as a solo artist since the Bad Tour. And for some reason, for This Is It, I don't know what happened. But there seemed to be miscommunication with everyone. Yeah. So there it is. There's the tour personnel for each tour outside of This Is It.
1: well now we know
0: now we know so on to the main subject
1: (laughs) (laughs) yes let's talk about
0: it let's talk about it baby let's talk so one of the things that inspired us to do this episode was the question of prince being quote-unquote black and some people have stated it doesn't matter It matters if you're black or white. I knew this was coming. I knew that's why I I paused because I knew it was coming. I knew it was coming. I knew it was coming. Michael
1: has a song called Black or White. It don't matter.
0: Okay, let's even start there. Let's start there because you had the song Black or White, and I actually am not too fond of the song, and it's not because of the message. I just think it's one of his weakest songs, musically, in terms of arrangement. Oh, okay. Uh, so he's had better songs about unity. I think Heal the World is a far superior oh, song. Oh,
1: well, of course. Who White? would doubt that Heal the World is, is a far superior song in terms of his messaging and just the composition in itself? Composition. I do like Black or White, though. I like it because it's, like it. it's corny. It's really corny. <laughs> That's why I like it. I mean, okay. <laughs> if it wasn't for the corniness, I wouldn't probably like it. But the fact that he has. You know, and then just the video, but the video is so compelling, and I like it that I think in order to really experience it, you have to watch it with the Black Panther video attached. I don't think you have you can isolate that. I think it has to be seen like that. <laughs> but that's how I enjoy it. Um, yes, it, it is. But but going on Prince, yeah, it's a good question because it's amazing that people have doubted or would doubt but i think it's because of the ambiguity that you know a lot of people they don't really think when they look at people they 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 look at blackness as one thing when blackness is multicolored obviously it's not just how it's generally seen to be and michael and prince defied what black men quote unquote should look like by adding on you know wearing makeup and lipstick and not that that hasn't been done before because it has been but i think for a lot of people they just saw these glamorous looking men you know glamorous looking black men and with prince i think a lot of people were just confused (laughs) because he he blurred the lines to the point where it was like i can be masculine I mean, but I still think even looking at a picture of Prince from any era, he still looks—he has very masculine and feminine features to the point where it's not like I never saw it as odd. It's not like when I saw Prince. I mean, I know you said when you heard "I Want to Be Your Lover," you saw the video, you thought it was a um, yeah, I thought Rican it
0: was a Puerto Rican lady. Lady. <laughs> yeah, I did. Sorry
1: right ain't no problem that's the thing and see when I saw him I was just I've seen because I I'm from New Orleans so I've seen that mix or that kind of black person <laughs> if Jesse, you wanna speak.
0: Jesse I'm from New York City
1: I yeah, have to let well see exactly so <laughs> you too so so it's not like so I'm saying as a non-white person as a black person obviously you know, when I hear white people, especially like, oh, no, it doesn't matter. and It's like, well, yeah, it does, because he made it clear that he was a black man. You know, it's not like Prince was in denial of that. Now, at one time when he first came on the scene, he he was trying to get people to, you know, well, oh, my mom is Italian and all that other kind of <laughs> nonsense. But then he he clearly understood and appreciated, I think, his blackness to the point where. I think a lot of fans, and I mean, we can't talk about this without mentioning the, folk, the Afro, because that's what really made people like, oh, I don't like it. And he needs to go back to, you know, his hair doesn't look good like that. It's like, so did you hear his first album? Did Did you see pictures of how he used to, like, he, he came on the scene with the fro. You're acting as if he came on the scene looking. I mean, he's always changed his hair mm-hmm. and the Afro was a staple even around musicology he had a little mini afro in 2000 you know yeah there's pictures of him with a little mini afro yeah in yep.
0: 2004 really? two thousand four.
1: yes again it wasn't the general style he usually stuck you know every era he seemed to stick with the style per se like it, it stayed that style but in musicology yeah there's a picture i can think of maybe three pictures where you can see he had a little fro okay yeah. okay yeah. <laughs> the prince changed his hairstyle so much, so people are like, "Oh, he gonna change it. He gonna change." It. I'm like, "I don't think he gonna change this shit. <laughs> he was, it was getting bigger. People was like, "Oh, right. I like it when it's small, it's like no, it's like the moon. He's, you know, it was. And even in his last, you know, the piano and microphone, he used a lot of Afro moons, um, which mm-hmm. was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. So like, I think he." He clearly wasn't gonna stop with that, and he didn't care. I remember one situation I got to call attention to this because it's hilarious. It was on Twitter, and someone mentioned it to him, and he was like, "Oh, Prince, you know, you're, you're um something." And they said, "I really miss your old style," and he was Ooh. like, uh, "An afro is not a style." <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. you t- that's right, Prince.
1: Yeah. And that's so, right. And at first, oh, I'm sorry. It's like, 'Cause I'm sure, he, and he even has in his uh song million dollar show he has judith Hill singing this part too mm-hmm. which is funny don't listen to the people saying fear the fro <laughs> <laughs> it ain't no fro like an african fro is all i'm saying
0: <laughs> and that's clear
1: debate you your pappy on that but
0: you know. <laughs> well when i saw now i'm gonna get to the prince in a in a moment But when I saw the black or white short film, I saw it when it first came out. And this was, I think it was an event. Yes, it was an event to watch a Michael Jackson short film. Everyone sat around the TV and watched it. Millions of viewers all at once around the world watched this one event. I don't re- even remember liking it when I saw it that time. But the second part, I said, what is this? Okay. <laughs> I was interested in the second part. So the the first part, it was the first video, if you will, that actually merged faces. And Michael spent a ton of money yeah,
1: exactly. to get that to happen. Yeah, exactly. the first video to have a collage. of.
0: So... In that sense, yes, it changed the face of how people did short films. However, I was not into the song. Again, I thought in the Michael Jackson repertoire it was weak. It just sounded so pedestrian. And Michael had better songs than that to me. And I know people are like, I like every single Michael Jackson song in the world. I don't. I love him, but I don't like every song. Sorry if that doesn't make me a real fan. Whatever. anyway. <laughs> But the second part, when he turns into the Panther and starts smashing everything up, it wasn't the smashing everything up that compelled me to be interested in the, in this video. It was the message around it. And even when I was a kid, I always I, I always did something to seek out whatever the message was in a song or a short film or a long film or a book. Mm -hmm. And when it first aired They did not have the graffiti I remember this very clearly Yeah. After it came out People complained And said what is this He's just being violent And so this is going to get to my later point Everyone thought Oh Michael Jackson was so meek So apolitical up to that point What is he doing And then he's simulating masturbation. He's grabbing his crotch and he's throwing things. That's so scary. And then, of course, around that time, Armand White, who was one of the few sincere defenders of Michael, because a lot of people at that point in major media all said he was weird. They called him names. So Armand White has been consistent in his defense of Michael. And what Armand White said was, Yeah, all y'all at that point did think he was apolitical, but here was an angry Black man, and he's showing it in Black or White, the second half. And I said, somebody gets it. (laughs) Somebody gets it. So Michael, at that point, and we discussed this on another episode, that was another stage in his life where he's going, yes, I'm an adult artist. I have sexuality. I am a person who is angry. I am a person who does think about political issues. I am a person... Who did not just do Thriller and Beat It. Here I am.
1: Here I am. And and you're going to have to deal with
0: it. You're going to have to deal with it. And he's also paying homage to his teachers at the same time. But he's saying, here's a new generation. Here's another generation of myself. But I'm merging the old with the new. And people couldn't handle it because, again,
1: they wanted wanted Lil Michael. It's like, no. You see, because even bad was not nearly as um. I mean, dangerous is a whole new level of just yeah. owning all of that confidence. Yeah. But, you know, when you see him emerge in that way, it I think it just threatened people and they were confused right. Right. because there's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's so much it's so mis. like, like every time I think about Michael, it's like, good Lord, it's amazing <laughs> just to see how he transformed throughout the ages, you know, and so. You're dealing with someone with a skin disease right and he's making a song called black or white <laughs> it doesn't matter he's re, he's really challenging you and not even it's not even intentionally just by default of his design you know mm-hmm. and and he's like wrecking with this and yeah i'm angry at what's going on and i know about what's happening i know that there's police brutality i mean dangerous brought to light all of that as well right. so he's he's not just angry he's showing you why he's angry, and. He did it in a way where it just pissed a lot of people off because they didn't want that. And I think that's also it says a lot about what we expect, especially out of black men and um, women and in general, just people who are not given that freedom to be angry without there being an interrogation behind it. Because it's almost like you can't be or you shouldn't be for whatever reason.
0: But and you also have to remember that earlier in the year, Rodney King was Yeah, I was down. going to mention
1: that. Rodney King, that was definitely a lot of the fuel that propelled that.
0: And Do the Right Thing was released in 1989, so I guarantee you that when he threw that trash bin in the window, that was inspired by that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes.
0: Anybody listens to the Dangerous album and does not grasp that he has any sort of political mind they haven't been paying attention why you want to trip on me i mean that song is saying here are these things going on in the world i'm not that important i'm really not stop Mm -hmm. thinking of me as the most important thing in your life and pay attention to what's happening in the world
2: yes
0: and no one who is a michael fan for the most part, has listened to that message, has taken heed to that message. It's very, very clear from everything I'm seeing right now from the Michael fan base. And this is not everyone. I know I just said everyone and I'm generalizing and I'm still going to generalize in this case because I've seen very few instances of people in the Michael fan community that have listed his contradictions have taken note of his actual humanity people still look at him as god i still see comments as saying he is above god he is god he created (laughs) the heavens and the earth i still see comments (laughs) like that well you're going to see
1: comments like that because some people definitely see him like that and i think the reason why is because they're not looking at him as you you said something earlier which i think you can mention now of why people are doing that like they're not they're not giving him his humanity or looking at his humanity because they're denying his blackness
0: yes and so here's where i want to get to prince and then get back to michael on this other level because people are saying well <laughs> prince he tried to bring all these people together he had wendy and lisa in his band he had all of these racially ambiguous girlfriends so people made all of these rationalizations that prince rogers nelson was somehow in denial of his africanness despite the messages he gave not only in interviews but in his music and even in some visual cues you could say I wouldn't say the visual cues were the primary aspect, but in some aspects it it was. But people somehow deny that aspect of Prince when who he was as an African man was a huge component of his art. Oh, yeah. A
1: lot of people deny the Africanness of Prince. And I think it's because they're not listening because or they're not able to catch because me being, you know, (laughs) I can just listen to Prince and hear you know, his statements and his his responses, his acknowledgement of his blackness. You know, it's not, it's never been like, oh, I can't tell. The only I can't tell thing is that's more visual, mm-hmm. but you can't really hear him and say you can't tell. I mean, you listen to Earth, Wind & Fire, you listen to Stevie Wonder, <laughs> you listen to, you know, James Brown, you know, all of these people who clearly he's been studying. And he has, there's a i don't know what word i could use for it but there's something about black people and i don't know how to describe it i don't know what it is but there's there's just like this language that's we get it and and it's it's there are various levels to how these this language works but basically you can listen to a song like chlorine bacon skin right
0: you listen to a song (laughs) like that you're like come on (laughs) you know like just that old man
1: you know you know know, know, that kind of that's something that i've always been around and i I can morris day killed it on the drums
0: that's all i'm saying oh
1: yeah (laughs) Prince even said that that was his favorite drummer he that was one of the last things he tweeted Mm. um he was like my my favorite drummer yeah morris days (laughs) is cool he crazy Uh, he's just exceptionally good and just the way they are like the time and you know just Mm -hmm. the way you know that kind of that's never been lost for me for people to not
0: see that it's like what are you kidding me are you paying attention the thing is why people focus on the erasure of Prince and Michael's African sensibilities is because people focus on race as a skin tone. They don't look at the new, the cultural nuances that exist. They don't look at the African personalities that exist in their art. It's just like, well, they were light-skinned, did, 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 so clearly they're racially ambiguous or wanted to be white or this and that. And they don't listen for the colloquialisms. Like, for instance, Under the Cherry Moon, like, who was talking about Rekostow besides us? And then Prince brought that to the popular lexicon. Who Who else was doing that? Nobody. <laughs> besides, exactly. us. besides us. Exactly.
1: Besides us. Rekostow. That's a perfect example. That's
0: how actually. we talk.
1: I'm glad you mentioned. Yeah. <laughs> he was aware of that. And he right. played that out throughout his whole career like I exactly. can see and so many things listening to Prince is like oh man he is so funny like he'll just say something and I'm glad you mentioned yeah nuances it's not just the skin tone you know people focus on that you can't just focus on the skin tone you have to look at the nuances those are the things that are in the invisible bones of why <laughs> blackness is the way it is so
0: and yeah. I wanted to actually say Michael one-upped James Brown on one thing Whoop. because when James Brown had said "I'm black and I'm proud," some of the kids who said that were white who said the chorus. Mm-hmm. But Michael, when he did "They don't care about us," he went to the favelas in in Rio.
2: Right. And so, one hey,
0: <laughs> no Europeans over there. Right. <laughs> 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 so he's like, okay, this is my say it loud. And then, even the beginning of the song with the kids going, don't worry about people saying, you know the truth. I mean, those right. are little African <laughs> girls saying that. Mm-hmm. It wasn't no white kids going, say it loud, I'm mm-hmm. black and I'm proud. So I think in that case, he did one up <laughs> James Brown, his teacher, which is, you know, that was that's his good. motto. That's good. That's like, his study motto. Study
2: exactly. the
0: greats and become greater. Be and become greater, I think so. he was greater in that case. <laughs> but people focus on when they focus on racism, when they focus on, yeah, when, when people focus on racism, they say, well, I think my race is better than yours. And they focus on skin tone, but they don't focus on the cultural nuances that exist under white supremacy. They don't focus on the systemic manifestations of it. People don't look at redlining. People don't look at you're being followed in a store. They look at, Prince, oh, he's playing rock music. So clearly he's playing white people's music and they don't think about the history of rock and roll. But I think it's also generational with younger people coming into this conversation saying it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter about race and ethnicity when it comes to Prince and Michael. Because right. they've toured Europe a lot. And so, it, mm-hmm. of course, in their perspective, it doesn't matter. They're there to be entertained. But for us, it's survival.
1: Right, it's survival. They don't understand that layer of survival because they're not getting that. That's not their experience. So they think it's just irrelevant when it's actually crucial because, again, they acknowledged it. You know, mm-hmm. they, it's not like, you know, <laughs> they just went their whole career acting as if they were not associated. They, they were aware of the struggle. And they did put that in their art whenever it was going you know conducive to whatever project they were doing so I don't think people should take that away I think people should respect that for what it is mm-hmm. and, and not try to justify their reason for it not being something of importance when, yeah. it, when it was
0: you know? well that's the whole thing where Prince was saying his mother was Italian that's the whole aspect of survival. He had to get his foot in the door. Right. If Prince was saying, Yo, I'm a proud black man, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean Warner Brothers would still have him fulfill his record contract, but he would not get the audience that he did if he was going out, Yeah, what's up? I'm mm-hmm. black. Right. He, he knew that. He, he knew, knew so he had, he had to, had to, right. he had to create a persona and then Purple Rain, I think for him and we discussed it a tiny bit last time, I think he had this feeling that it backfired on him a little bit because they, and he said he didn't write it, so what happened? They made his mother white and his father a dark skinned Black man who was abusive to his wife. So black, that's perpetuating yeah. the stereotype yeah. of, of the angry, not only the angry Black man, but the violent Black man is mm-hmm. perpetuating that. And I really would have liked to ask Prince, what his thoughts were on that. Did he feel that it was perpetuating that? And then he feel that that was backfiring on the message he really wanted to give. And I think that is a really valid question to have asked him.
1: That's a deep one. I mean, I think he probably, I don't know what he would have said to that, but I, (laughs) I know while watching purple rain that he acknowledged it as a point in his life of transition. I mean, that was when he had made it, you know, Mm -hmm. like he had, he knew that once that this is as high as it's going to ever be
2: mm-hmm. in
1: terms of like commercial, because even when people talk about Prince now, like, Oh, purple, rain, purple. I mean, he's basically dominated that color purple. Anytime people see purple, <laughs> they related to him, you know? So, but that was one album he did in 84. So what did he do? He chant, you know, he changed it the year after with around the world on the day so that it wasn't right just a pigeonhole. But again, to your point, you're right. A lot of it was for survival. And he also knew what the radio liked so not only you know people forget prince <laughs> this dude invented the time that's how ahead of the <laughs> curve he was he was like okay i'm gonna make a band dedicated to funk now that kind of backfired in a sense because people wanted that instead of the stuff he was doing you know on his own yeah but he you know the first time album was just prince you know right. playing all the instruments wrote, wrote all of it and he had black people doing it so Mars. You got Morris, you got Jellybean, you know, (laughs) you got a bunch of the dudes you, you you know, did music with and they're a part of your, you know, that's you at the same Mm -hmm. time. And you can work on something else like that's that's knowledge that's taking advantage of how you can really get out. You know,
0: I think another question that would have been interesting to have asked him, and I really don't think he would have answered this. And if he did, it would have been very coded his ability to navigate all of those worlds, despite being of African descent because of his hue and being more androgynous, especially uh, creating a persona that was more androgynous. Did you feel as if you were able to better navigate those worlds better than even on Michael Jackson? And even though Michael Jackson was the biggest star around that time that Prince was doing that thing and he was probably I would say second to Michael because Prince you know he wasn't that interested in being the pop star like Michael was but because he was better to better able to navigate those worlds based on his appeal to many audiences based on his hue I'm really gonna say that it's based on his hue how did he feel about that how did he process the whole color hierarchy that not only uh, hollywood perpetuates but a lot of people in our families perpetuate i really wonder if he processed that at all and i know that michael processed it because he had so much of that hierarchy in his family with joe jackson talking about his features and saying you you didn't get that nose from me it came from your mother or your features are ugly and this and that so I mean, even that was going on in his family. When he ended up having vitiligo, how did he process that in terms of how we've become conditioned to see a racial hierarchy or a color or hue hierarchy? Was that a mixed blessing to him? I just would have liked to have asked those questions and I know they would not have publicly responded, but if I just had that moment And again, they might not have answered it at all, but would it give them something to think about? And it and yeah, Prince would have
1: remixed that question back to you in such a way, it would have been like, huh?
0: (laughs) Right, exactly. Michael probably was just
1: like, yeah, you can't ask. That's not, I didn't circle that question. (laughs) Right, you know, right. So, like, um, it's one of those things where I don't know, but that is a good question. I think they both had different experiences. I mean, just a brief breakdown. So, when you look at Prince, He was born in Minneapolis. So like it's a multicultural city and there's not, but there's still not a lot of black people out here. Mm -hmm. I want to say it's only, I really need to write this number down. Cause anytime I read it, it's like, damn, (laughs) (laughs) like it's not a lot of black people here. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, but when you're living here, you're still seeing, you know, different. So you're seeing all kinds of people and that's not just white people. You're seeing black, white, Puerto Rican, everybody just freaking, you know? Mm -hmm. And, but, That's still not being around. It's not like he was just around black people because he wasn't. He was in the minority because the majority of people were white. But then Michael Jackson, born in Gary, Indiana, and also being famous at a very young age, his situation was even more interesting because he was around wealthy, you know, Motown cats like Marvin Gaye and Aretha Franklin and the rest of them. But yet you know there's a home video series of him going back to Indiana and it's so nice seeing him with you know his his people and um <laughs> you could see that he was still a southern boy flannel shirt fried chicken with <laughs> the skin off
2: <laughs> oh.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so i wanted to to talk about a few comments here and I wanted to see what you thought because it goes into some of the songs so someone says this is regarding if Prince was black so someone mm-hmm. says Prince's song race is a song about going against Ooh, race politics wait, and he, wait, was, wait, and he wait,
1: was wait Wait. wait <laughs> before you go there because I was about to say and I have to say this I'm sorry I don't know what you're about to say go ahead and finish it I'll, 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 I'll wait
0: okay I'll
1: wait. Okay, go
0: ahead. So it says uh, he was for all children, all people to focus on races, kind of throwing that away or ignoring what Prince saying about. But for the sake of an argument or further analysis, which honestly is kind of playing into race politics, which, again, is something he's saying against. OK, we can say that Prince is a black American artist, but really Prince is really just an American legendary recording Whoa. and performing artist, one of America's best that ah. America's produced. America's culture produced prince was rock and roll's baby he fused black american genres of which really are america's art forms i.e blues jazz so okay uh, let's pick this part later later rock and roll (laughs) funk etc it all comes back to my view to simply american when you do that you follow prince's race message and what he was communicating to look beyond race he and we should really ultimately mark human Look, I I believe still in that Prince, the Prince of Free mm-hmm, of America, no, Days of no, Wild Race. So this no, person, this person no. completely <laughs> discounts the fact that we created rock and roll. Yeah,
1: completely. Not even. I mean, like, yeah, just get off of Prince for a second and think about all of the other cats, right. you know, that invented this genre. Right.
0: So, so that this would person, not exist if it wasn't for right. him. Like, it wouldn't exist. <laughs> So he straight up said prisoners rock and roll's baby. So he's implying that that we didn't create rock and roll. He's rock and roll's baby. He fused black American genres of which which really yeah. are America's art form, i.e. blues and jazz. So he totally ignores the fact that we created all of those.
1: Yeah.
0: Go, Jesse. Go. Okay. <laughs> First of all.
1: Now you're gonna hear me for a second. Let me make sure I ain't going too off the rafters. But I wanna say something. Race, the song that he put on his album Come, that's the most that's one of the most problematic songs he's ever done. And Mm -hmm. I always say I remember once there was a moment I was hanging around with my friends and we were all black. It was so funny. I'm gonna just set the scenario for you, right? So we were at a party race comes on and it's just and it's it's just so there's a lot of white people and this is just you know a couple of black people and we're in this circle and right when prince says this line i'm gonna read it because while you were talking it got me time to actually read it and tell you why i have a problem with it okay when we when it got to this part i was like what so he says this if we never heard about the evils that those before us committed then tell me how my dear tell me how my dear will we know Mm -hmm. which we were like and so when we came when we heard that we were like that's bullshit (laughs) like that's not true what do you mean so you're basically saying oh if we don't talk about race it's gonna not exist you know and then when you go further on he's going into it and he's talking about how his propaganda and he's you know he I can see his moral spin, you know, I've learned to now when I listen to it, I still don't agree with that general statement, but I do kind of get where he was going, you know, at the end of the day, you know, we're all blo- we're all bones when we're dead. That's the, the whole mm. idea, you know, race in the space. I'm our human cut me, cut you both. The blood is red. I do like that aspect of the message, but there's still some other nuances that I uh, don't fully appreciate. However, that was in 94. Okay. <laughs> now, if you fast forward, to 2001 the rainbow children family name Mm -hmm. okay just listen to that album in itself but if you family name is probably one of the best songs he ever did and he's telling you clearly i'm a black man Mm -hmm. (laughs) okay (laughs) he's telling you when you wish to begin this program place your right hand on the scanner and tightly clench up your butt cheeks as you might feel a slight electrical shock please select the race history you desire (laughs) you have selected african-american and then he goes into that and what black means and it's is some dope shit like people really need to listen to family name like that when he did that mm-hmm. i'm like wow so he he's and he talked about muhammad ali what it means to change your name what is your family name oh my last name is nelson hmm that's not really mine it comes from a slave master right oh i got their last name because my ancestors couldn't read or write because it was illegal it's some shit to uh, really encounter. So I would say this in closing Prince, I think was very aware of his blackness and you don't even have to fast forward all the way to 94. I mean, you listen to something in 96 on emancipation, you go to right just 99. Like he, he had, he worked with Chuck D on Raven to joy. Fantastic. And, um, you know, he talks about blackness in that, like, there's so many things where he's acknowledging that he's a black man. But I think at some point, because of his situation. I mean, when you think about it, when you're raised and I don't know, I can't, I'm speaking from someone as someone who has never been raised around just white people. And mm-hmm. I've kind of been raised a, a bunch of everybody, but I've primarily been around black people. So right. um, I don't know how it is to just be around people who don't look like you, who expect you to do different things because you look that way. Cause that really happens. And I know it happened with, especially someone like him who's lighter. So, mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of agenda going on, but I do know he became well aware of his blackness and he embraced it. He acknowledged his ancestors. He talked about what we contributed. I mean, Black Muse, his last album, that song in itself, Mm -hmm. he's talking about it. You know, we built rhythm and jazz, rhythm and blues. So, you know, we're built to last. Rock and
0: roll and jazz. Rock and roll and And jazz. So, you know, we're built
1: to last. It's true. (laughs) You know, so. You can't, so you, if you are, if you claim to be a Prince, you know, follower, a fan or whatever, then you should respect that he acknowledged who he was. Mm -hmm. Okay, now if you want to look at him as this purple unicorn with stardust that comes out of his eyes because he's so magical, then keep that to yourself. But that's not the reality of how Prince saw himself, you know? So it does matter. To me, that matters. That's like you're telling someone. You know what you are, and they're saying, no, you're not. You're that. So, right. Oh, he's telling you what he is. So, you know, respect that. <laughs> so that's my rant. rent over.
0: That's my job, man. <laughs> <Right>. Mickey D's. <laughs>
1: right. For giving away too much for too food much for, free.
0: for free. <laughs> I, I want to
1: see another black child go to school
0: with nothing, nothing to, to eat. eat.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, there was and another a- song is uh, uh-huh.
1: is avalanche i want to mention that one too mm-hmm. that was this i can't wait for this documentary that they're working on to come out because prince really went against the normatives around the rainbow children this same album with family name he pissed a lot of people off because people had never really heard prince in that way be very serious about his blackness you know so mm-hmm. when he says abraham lincoln was a racist people were pissed off these white people mostly like what do you mean he was a racist he freed y'all it's like mm-hmm. what no he didn't <laughs> he did that for this reason right you know and so in a lot of people i have friends who went to that show and they said some people will walk out of the show when he oh. sung that
0: song
1: i'm like oh okay
0: Okay. Then you then you don't
1: respect Prince. Then you don't respect Prince. Then, you, then you, you you don't respect who he is. And he said around that time, I'm not interested in what you know, but mm. what you're willing to learn. <laughs> <laughs> if you came here with a little red Corvette, you're gonna be surprised at what you don't get. <laughs> <laughs> My lord, see that's some black shit right there too, see? <laughs>
0: start humming
1: and stuff
0: yeah (laughs) yeah even with the singing so i'm gonna say this to everybody i listened to what was that about a week and a half ago i listened to uptown funk in its entirety i had never heard it in its entirety it it was usually in passing or something like that and i'm just wondering where the funk was so can somebody tell me just like Michael Jackson speaking another language to these people. Somebody told me where the funk was. And here is the issue. The drums was just a solid rock and roll four by four beat. There was no kind of syncopation. There was no kind of polyrhythms. How are you going to call it funk when there's no polyrhythms or syncopation? That makes no sense. It's not funk. Don't call it uptown funk. Don't call it any kind of funk. And a lot of people were worried that oh, it's disrespecting Roger Troutman. It's yeah, they took some musical cues, but Roger Troutman it ain't got nothing to worry about. He he's not gonna be rolling in his grave with this because it wasn't even funky. It's not you know you could say he's disrespectful by calling the uptown funk, but he ain't got nothing to worry about because it, you know, it ain't funky. And so I started thinking about Prince and the vocal styles and Michael and. <laughs> a lot of people were saying, oh, all these people are ripping off these singers. And I'm just thinking of these white singers because everyone's talking about the mm-hmm. white singers. And you listen to Justin Timberlake. Again, I haven't heard oh. a lot of music from these people, but the songs I've heard, I'm like, "Nah, no, these people got nothing to worry about because they don't have funk in their voice. They don't right. have soul. And when people talk about soul, they're focusing on genre or, or style of singing. No, I don't feel anything when they sing. That's the soul. When, when you hear, uh, there's people that love that, what's the Adele song? Rolling in the Deep. And so I worked with this guy who who actually first heard the song through John Legend. I had never heard John Legend's version until a few weeks ago because he played it. I said, that's how the song's supposed to sound. John Legend put some gospel in it. That's how it's supposed to sound. Adele's version is like... It ain't got no soul in it. It ain't got no kind of funk in it. And then Stephanie Mills co- cover Uptown Funk. I'm like, that's how you do it. So... Oh, yeah. The re- we ain't got nothing to <laughs> no. worry about. Yeah. They, they not stealing our... And I, again, people I like... I
1: totally agree with you on Adele. She That song... Whatever it is. Rolling in the deep. Hello, all of the ones that people Yeah, it's about. not.
0: it doesn't have any soul.
1: It's like, I don't I'm feel good. It. I'm good. I'm good. Like, and I know again, you offer it, but I don't need it. Like, I mean, there's so many other So, the thing is, since I love soul music, and see, real people, people who love soul, here's a, it's just, it's, when you know that there are singers with that, right. you're not gonna settle for no plastic, rubbery, <laughs> Sometimes it might work, maybe it won't work this time, kinda shit. You know, I need something that's consistent. And there's plenty of options. So I'm not gonna settle with Adele if that's all you got. Especially if it's on the
0: radio. Well, for (laughs) instance, you know, I think Barbara Streisand, I think she's not my style. Uh, But I appreciate Barbara Streisand. That's what I'm saying. I think Barbara Streisand Barbara Streisand, I would say she is a soulful singer. She is exactly so right exactly so yeah barbara streisand you know she doesn't sing with a lot of runs she doesn't do all that so people think it to be a soulful singer you have to be doing a lot of runs and growls no like soul is just it, it it reaches into your bones again barbara streisand is not my thing but i will do not deny that she is a good singer it's not my style but you look at Adele, I I don't I don't feel anything when I listen to it. Yeah. What what's that one song that um that so she covered up Bob Dylan song and make you feel my love. A lot of people don't know that's Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan when Bob Dylan sang that song, he he was older and so his voice was all growly and you heard the sadness. In Bob Dylan's reading of that song, it's like, make him feel like, he sounded like that. Adele sings it, I don't feel anything. She doesn't have soul in her voice. You hear uh, Sam Smith. He doesn't have soul in his voice. They may be uh, they may be okay singers, but it was like, oh, soul, R&B, uh, they, we ain't got nothing to worry about. Because they're not stealing the soul from us. They're not... And so then you have people like Justin Timberlake who tries to be like Michael Jackson. And I actually heard more recent songs from him. That's what he needs to be doing, that country music. Because that's, that's where his voice is. That, he needs to be doing that kind of music and stop trying to work with Timbaland or whoever. Because it's just, is no. And he needs to stop trying to be Michael Jackson and just be himself. And that's where the soul is going to come out when he's being himself. But uh was it Bruno Mars same thing he doesn't again I haven't heard every single bit of his music but the songs I've heard I feel like he doesn't yet have an identity he's taking from so many genres of music he doesn't have his own identity and everyone's like oh he's stealing he's a soul he's a culture appropriator might like, he hasn't yet found his identity he's like a teenager who's trying to you know, fit in what I'm really group.
1: interested to see where he's gonna go after uh, this album, 24K Magic, because you can, you see, I can say that I ah, Bruno Mars, I did enjoy his last album, and mm-hmm. and that's mainly because of the memories and everything else that were associated with it. And I can appreciate some grooves, like I'm not that critical with music unless it's really 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 bad oh i am he's durable <laughs> well justin timberlake i don't listen to justin timberlake at all because i can't yeah. there's no nothing but bruno actually he has talent like i can't deny that he has talent. i'm not
0: denying he doesn't have talent i'm just saying but he, but to he
1: say he it's on the level identity.
0: that right well i don't know his. <laughs>
1: i don't know his identity <laughs> but i know exactly who does yeah but i don't know anyone's identity unless they really make it clear
0: uh, okay. Some artists- okay, for instance, you have a Q Sweat. His whole thing is begging. Ah, mm, like that's, his, right. that's his personality. And yeah. you have Teddy Pendergrass. He was very uh, assertive male person. Turn him off. That's Teddy Pendergrass. Then you have Denise Williams. She is a songbird. When you hear Denise Williams, you know who that is. When you hear Michael Jackson, you know who that is. When you hear... Mavis Staples, you know who that is. People have their personalities. And I I don't hear that with Bruno Mars. He's taking from all of these things, trying to create a personality, but I don't hear him. And that's what I'm saying. I'm hearing, yes, he's inspired by Roger Troutman. Yes, he's inspired by the police. Yes, he's inspired by this group and that group. But where is he so I don't hear the soul in what he's doing. He's, it's as if he's trying to find who he is right now. And so maybe the next album or the album after that, he'll finally reach his groove and finally have his own personality. I don't know. But the songs I've heard, I, just, I don't I don't hear that he's coming to his own. And right. I haven't heard all of his music. I've heard very little of Bruno Mars. So let me be stood corrected if that's the case. But every song that people have played for me, it sounds like somebody else. And so when you hear Prince, yes, Sexy MF. Yeah, there's clearly took from James Brown. Yes, when you hear other things, it's, it's very clear. But it still sounds like Prince.
1: Right. Well, I see what you mean. You know, and here's another thing some people you just ain't going to dig, you know, that's the thing. It may not be there for you. I realize that there are some musicians. I would probably say that about Adele and wow. Sam Smith and what's the other guy? Uh, Ed, Sharon. Oh, these, like, no, no, no. <laughs> I, they are not for me. OK, now somebody else might dig them. It's for them. So it's like music. You know, this is a funny thing. I was just studying this. I'm still trying to get to the nerve of what makes certain people like certain musicians and then other people's not really like them. You know, like it's kind of hard to navigate those waters because. There are people who I know have good taste in music, I think. But then they'll tell me that they like somebody. It's like, how could you listen to them? <laughs> so so I don't know what makes it. There's no line here. I mean, I guess it's just subjective anyway. It's whatever.
0: Mm-hmm. But yeah, it, I mean, music yeah. is... Subjective. So, but Kate Bush. Kate Bush is a perfect example.
1: Oh, yeah. I, I really like Kate
0: Bush. Who, exactly. So She is a person... Who it may not be to someone's liking she's a very specific style of music I think someone like Tori Amos comes from the school of Kate Bush like Kate Bush so many people from different walks of life appreciate her or are inspired by her and she is definitely that artist on the top tier of artists who make the music she wants to make and is uncompromising I see her as being a teacher of Prince, for instance. And Prince is definitely inspired by somebody like Kate Bush. So she doesn't tour. She doesn't do interviews. She's like, I'm just here to make music. I don't know about y'all. I think she is definitely an artist of that caliber to aspire to just be as uncompromising as possible. And and of course, Prince worked with Kate
1: Bush. Exactly. So, exactly. I mean, they obviously had, exactly. and he worked on her album, too. Uh, exactly. But, yeah, so, completely.
0: Yes. It's one of those so, things
1: where you find the artist that there is a symbiosis in parallel to. Prince picked out the people who he really liked.
0: Joni you know, Mitchell. He made it
1: clear. Joni Mitchell, okay. yeah. Oh, my goodness.
0: So it's not about genre. People are fixated when they're talking about soul music. They're fixated on race and genre. But soul is something you can feel. So, yes, there is a genre of soul. Yes. People call Aretha Franklin the queen of soul. But, again, she was that person when she sang, you felt it in your bones. You can be the, the, the best singer of all time, but if you don't feel it, you ain't got soul. That's just how it is. And so that's – the funny thing is with Whitney Houston, a lot of people love her first two albums. And I think her first two albums are okay. But I think when she married Bobby Brown, that's when you started hearing mm-hmm. a lot of – We got her- something coming. Oh, not that song. Oh, God.
1: Nah, yeah. I don't
0: know. Yeah, do this <laughs> you, mad. But you started hearing <laughs> – Like you started hearing the raspiness, you started hearing a lot of the anguish come out. You start because she started being less of a puppet of Clive Davis, and I think the first two albums her voice was amazing, but you didn't hear the pathos, you didn't hear the her life coming out in those songs. But when she did, you know, your love is my love. When she did all those out, you started hearing her life come out. When she did, it's not right, it's okay. That was Whitney. And I love that era of Whitney because that that was real. But, you know, I think the first two albums, because she was she was with Jermaine. Let's keep it real. So I think some of those songs were about Jermaine. She kind of
1: had to be yeah, a bit cheesy (laughs) and cartoonish. But I'm glad you mentioned it's not right, but it's okay. That's the jam. That whole album. I love when she's giving you that. That is like I'm I'm a Jersey girl. I will (laughs) you up. If you Mm -hmm. come across me wrong, you know, she didn't play. So And she um,
0: did, even even when she was doing those first two albums, she was like that. But it wasn't public. And so people thought,
1: yeah, she had to put up again, going again, what we talked about with Prince too, you know, you Mm -hmm. have to shield and cut corners and, you know, do things that may look like you're in denial of what you are, but you're having to do that just as a protective kind of covering because it's really hard. You know, yes for people
0: to be honest and this is why invincible is one of my favorite albums and people yeah. that album and they're like oh i don't know it's not thriller but i'm telling you that was the one album i feel like michael's voice was the most mature i mean he had two kids not three yet but two kids at that point twice divorced you heard that in his vocals you heard he was just tired he was just like i've been through so much at this point look y'all y'all already did all this to me there's not much more you could do to me at this point that's what I got out of Invincible and it was amazing it was amazing and his voice he used his lower register it was such a mature album I know there was a lot of the music around that time and people were like oh that should be reserved for younger people but he did the thing on that album and as much as I love the other albums I think off the wall yes that was his first album as an adult but he was a young adult and you heard the youthfulness coming out and that's how it's supposed to be and so that was a perfect album for that but the whole history to invincible era I love that era and a lot of people sleep on it because it's not thriller okay actually we were going to talk about PYT and we never got to and here's a perfect opportunity to talk about that. I think PYT is an instrumental is a great song and you want to talk about the soul genre yes but I think I was not convinced that Michael singing that song and I felt like it was a concerted effort by Quincy Jones to try to put some kind of toxic masculinity on him. I think with Lady in My Life I was convinced because I think he was thinking about Diana Ross. I think he had something in his mind where he was able to put a lot of feeling in his reading of that song. But PYT, I'm like, "Eh, I'm just really not convinced. And it was co-written by Quincy Jones and James Ingram. And I think Quincy Jones is really like, hey, Michael, this is your time to be a man. Because Quincy Jones always tried to shade Michael. And that's why I don't like that song. I just really think that was... Quincy Jones attempt to just try to get Michael to be in a space he really wasn't at at the time, and just the reading, I just it was just kind of like eh for me. But the music, yeah, was was on point. <laughs> That's the thing. This idea of quote black masculinity, how we should always be singing a song. It really comes into how people thought about Michael and Prince. There was an interview with Diane Collins. I'm sure you've heard it at some point, but she asked him, well, you know, when you're outside of performing, uh, you know, do, do, do you think of yourself as a black man? Something like that, where she challenged him and right. basically saying you're not black enough. And this was a, this was a white lady. They, they see being like well you're now in this pop lexicon are you abandoning your blackness that's right. what she's asking that's ridiculous and he paused and he said i know i'm black i look at my hands and i totally understand what he meant and i think yeah. people who did not know they they just wouldn't know and be like why would you say something like that but i that's totally ridiculous. got yeah. what she said when he said that but for this lady to say that that's another question I would have loved to have asked him. Like, what were you processing when she said that? Which means that if she's saying it, there are hundreds of other people saying that about him. And how did he process that? And it's the same thing with Prince. But again, Prince was of a lighter hue and he was able to navigate that. So, how did they process that? And these limitations that these quote unquote journalists put upon us as african people making art that they do not deem as being african how did they process that whitney houston at the soul train awards it was where do broken hearts go and she was nominated for with i think best arm i can't remember best song or something she was booed her and bobby mcferrin were booed
2: yeah and that
0: was, that was actually the place where she met bobby brown and so that was a huge turn of events for her But she met Bobby Brown, who was the king of R&B, and then she got booed for that song. So even we put limitations on what we could do. Like We're supposed to always be making these specific types of music, and Prince did not do that. He did freaking Purple Rain. He did. (laughs) He did, why you want to treat me so bad? And so I think about... The Icy Brothers and they play with Jimi Hendrix because when Jimi Hendrix was doing his thing, we didn't like him neither. <laughs> and so it wasn't until after his transition, we we, we were like Jimi Hendrix, that's right. No, right. we didn't like him when he was doing his thing either. And that's the same thing with Prince, and up to a certain degree, the same thing with Michael, because like, well, they don't like us no more. We mm, oh,
1: and that's then, a shame. I knew I need people that wake up from that Mm -hmm. spell of ignorance i mean you should be able to follow an artist wherever they go and acknowledge that press that Mm -hmm. you know instead of making it like they're selling themselves out that doesn't even make sense Mm -hmm. i mean there are some examples of people who i think sometimes people don't they don't follow the music they're just invested in everything else and they see them on the magazine or they follow a rumor and they just go off of that but if you follow Mm -hmm. the music there's no valid argument (laughs)
0: <laughs> to support that. <laughs> so my question to you is, given that in a lot of these cases, even with bands like Slave, where they did uh, electrified guitar solos, a lot of quote unquote black radio stations didn't play those songs. Mm-hmm. So we didn't even embrace embrace us doing uh, electric music, because yeah. <laughs> it's like, ooh, that's not yeah. R and or whatever. Mm-hmm. So my question to you is. Did that make it easier for European audiences to embrace them because we, in a lot of ways, left them behind and it was easier for them to Mm. grab onto it and create a persona and identity for them?
1: Mm. I can see that there's some correlation to that. I mean, they obviously love bringing to the attention that, oh, well, we embraced it. We, We loved it. But I think... The amount of people, I'm I'm not sure how it was like for Prince or Michael when they kind of grew and they really became huge and how they dealt with that criticism that they were, I mean, Prince responded a lot to that. I mean, that was one of the interviews, the first interviews he did on MTV when he was uh, talking about it. He was like, well, George Clinton said it was funky. (laughs) Which, you know, he's mentioning George because if you know George Clinton, you know Parliament Funkadelic. That's Mm -hmm. like bare bones funk he was like well he liked it so I'm, it must not be that bad <laughs> um, and just Purple Rain the whole idea Graffiti Bridge the same thing you know Prince always just made whatever he was feeling a lot of people probably didn't know what to do with it because it's alien from but that's, that's just mainly because of ignorance I think if people just study music history and they see you know black people invented this so you can do any of it really <laughs> like it's no barriers of oh well this is it's no sound that i mean if you're listening to the radio if you're defining your music palette by the metrics of a society that's just silly because pop music hasn't been the same since good lord i don't it's died several times but if you're looking <laughs> for the radio or even different streaming services i mean clearly right now the music industry is the worst Is in the worst situation it's ever been in, and in terms of them making money, because that's what they all want to do anyway. It's not about the distribution Mm of music as much as as it is about you know profiting over a you know persona based off of social media. It's more social media than anything now. So Mm
2: -hmm.
1: yeah, it's it's one thing. I think a lot of people may have felt justified in thinking that way towards Prince, but let it be known that <laughs> Prince and Michael were both <laughs> black, African <laughs> men, and that they took advantage and they had to, you know, being in a society where, you know, they they had access to that amount of fame, I'm sure it did make them really think about it sometimes because at some point they became beyond that. Mm-hmm. You know? It wasn't about you know, it was just another level. I don't know how, I'm sure it was difficult, especially for Michael being aware of how quickly it changed for him. I mean, he knew it already on some level when he became, you know, when he entered into puberty, when people looked at him differently just for the bumps. (laughs) And then you add another layer of skin disease, plastic surgery, Mm -hmm. you know, it just really makes you feel, some kind of way but yeah he seemed quite aware of his blackness his hands like he's I mean Michael Jackson had old <laughs> black man hands
0: he really did even in his 20s <laughs> yeah. I love his hands one of my favorite things about him I'm so serious yeah he always had old people hands yeah he did. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to get into the generational aspect of this conversation but I wanted to read a couple more comments which I think apply to how people feel about both prince and michael but this is referring to prince but nah mm-hmm.
1: he the is another one was ridiculous <laughs> okay go ahead
0: <laughs> he is an intrinsically beautiful soul that transcends soul. being categorized so there's one another one was <laughs> and this is i don't this one's a tricky one so Prince was a black man who wanted to represent everybody in his own purple way. I think he was definitely influenced by MLK and Jesus as far as how he wanted to bring people of all races oh and backgrounds together. So I think it's actually, so it, it really is looking at MLK in a very limited box because mm-hmm. no one talks about MLK after 1963. No, Of course. The MLK was talking about I'm black and I'm proud too because he was hanging out with people from SNCC <laughs> and, and then he internationalized his struggle so he looked at what was going on in terms of the injustice of African people in the states and looked at what was going on with the injustice of Vietnamese people and then he looked even beyond that so to say oh MLK was just 1963 and I have a dream you haven't been paying attention <laughs> because yeah. he was he went way beyond that after nineteen sixty three way beyond that, <laughs> so. and this whole this whole idea that Prince was just like, well, you know we're we're all just these colors, and we're colors again, I know that was in some of the music and blah blah blah, But if you look at the bulk of Prince's music, He was very aware of the systemic issues going on with African people and to deny that aspect of his music and to deny that aspect of himself is not respecting Prince's humanity. The same with Michael. For Michael to have it don't matter if you're black or white and then have this whole thing where he's smashing up cars because he's angry about the situation. It's disrespecting his humanity. It's as if just because you're Michael Jackson, you're not supposed to be processing white supremacy because somehow you're beyond that. I know you're a black man, but somehow you're beyond black. You're just not, and that's how people respond. So the generational aspect of this, I think is very crucial and interconnected with the racial aspect Because so many Europeans, they don't even, from what I've seen, some do, but so many do not talk about uh, Michael during the Jacksons era, the Jackson 5 era. They don't even talk about the -the off-the-wall era. They don't even really talk about the thriller era. They talk about the dangerous era on. And mostly from dangerous to history, they talk about, they don't even talk about when he was, they don't even talk about, That's he a. Was that's the a they, they don't even talk about a good
1: school. Yeah, that's huh? a very honest assessment. You know, if you really break it down, it's true. They do focus on those eras in particular. They don't usually go after history, or they don't even talk about the themes outside of its visual aspect. No. They ain't talking about invincible, or well, we can think of many reasons as to why that is. I'm sure. <laughs>
0: And somebody who's European listening to this, prove us wrong. I'm just saying what I've seen. I can be totally wrong. And somebody's like, no, we look at all of it. But I don't see it. I don't see. All I'm seeing when I see this footage that people post, for people from Europe, all I'm seeing is <laughs> when he had the vitiligo, like 100%, or I'm going to say 90%. <laughs> Over 60% of his body. I don't see anything from the the Triumph Tour, nothing from the Triumph Tour. see nothing from the Jackson 5 era. I see nothing from the Victory Tour for the most part. There's a couple of clips, but I, I see none of that. What I see is mostly the History Tour and a lot of the Dangerous Tour. And somebody has to answer that question why is that and i'm just guessing a lot of that's generational but it's also tied to the racial ethnic aspect so when michael i don't uh, know i mean but when michael stopped after the bad tour michael primarily toured in europe and in asia so he was not touring anywhere where we were (laughs) And I don't know what. It's funny because Michael used to go back home all the time, but he never toured. He used to just go. So, so what I think about that is, you know, people see me as African. I'm not here to entertain y'all. I'm going home just to go home. I'm going home like I'm not trying to do all that. And that's, I don't know if that's true. Again, that's something to ask. I wasn't in his brain, but I feel like. When he went home and he went home a lot, it was just to chill. It was like, I'm not here to work right now. I'm here to go home. But when he went to Europe, Asia, he went to uh just Kuala Lumpur, all of it. He was there to work. But that's work. who yeah. saw him was the Europeans mostly and some Asian folks. Asian people saw him you during the bad tour and all that too. And so when I see Asian people talk about Michael, they do talk about all the different eras more than I see Europeans talking about the different eras, which is interesting because Mm -hmm. the Jackson 5 went to the UK. I don't see people from the UK talking about the Jackson 5 so much. I don't know why that is, but I see them talking about the bad tour all day. (laughs) I feel as if it's that whole thing where when Michael did not have clearly pronounced vitiligo, it was very clear that he was African. Like you could not deny that. Like Prince, he was of a lighter hue at a certain point. So people could identify with that more. And then he had black or white and he had all this other stuff. So people were like, "See, yeah, it really don't matter. But then you just, they don't care about us. It's like, oh, wait. Uh, uh. <laughs> wait. Uh, <laughs> right, I don't know what to zimpsenous. do about that. I don't know what yeah. to think. <laughs> and then Invincible came out. People were like, oh, I don't know. I've heard people say it was too soulful. I'm not even kidding you. Are you kidding have, me? Yes. I know. I have heard people come and say Invincible is too soulful. That's what I'm saying. People don't want that side of Michael. They want him doing, like this person said, that Prince was a, a child of rock and roll. They want him doing that. They want him doing straight up pop music. Because it's just like, oh, you're doing white people music. But they don't get the nu- the cultural nuances Michael was doing. When Michael on the bathroom was ah, ah, ah. like, I mean, come on. Like, <laughs> <hello>? <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, he's doing Chimani, he's doing a, like, what do you think that is, people? But they're like, oh, it's Michael Jackson. But they don't gather that he's paying homage to his teachers. They don't, they don't gather that he's paying homage to his people. They don't gather any of that. All they see is singing and dancing. That's all they get. But they don't understand or get any of the cultural nuances. And the whole thing, like, well. Yeah, we don't speak English. We don't know. As if white supremacy doesn't exist in Europe. Are you kidding me? It's at an all-time high once again now. (laughs) So to say, well, we don't don't understand. And then it's like Africans was getting killed in Germany. Africans get killed in Europe. So to ignore that aspect of Michael in favor of what you want to see is a huge component, I think generationally and with older folks who are African I think you know I'm gonna critique them too <laughs> because again it was easier to lose sight of all that because of our limitations of what we think being African is you know we resisted rock and roll because it's like oh it's Elvis or Michael doing rock music so when he did beat it people were scratching their heads <laughs> And when, you know, Michael had the bad cover and he was significantly lighter than he was in Thriller, people like, oh, what's going on? Did we bother to support him? Uh, I think many of us did, but in a lot of cases, many of us did not. And we said, well, he's trying to be white. He's trying to look like Diana Ross, whatever, let's just throw him away. Our limited perspectives on what being African is about I'm going to maintain that made it a lot easier for Europeans to grab a hold of him and not let go and claim him, which is what's happening. (laughs) Yes. And when when they're claiming him, just like they did Prince, they tend to say, well, he's just this person who didn't care about color. He's just this person who was a spirit that was beyond all that. He was a person who was just beautiful. Why put race into it? He was a person who just made beautiful music for everyone to hear, hear the world, black, white, Puerto Rican, everybody just right. freaking doesn't matter. <laughs> so people take the lyrics and rationalize the fact that they are erasing their African sensibilities. It's just such a problem that Prince and Michael did that and created these lyrics. And then later on, they were like, no, 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 that's not what we meant. It's like, I didn't mean it like that. But yeah, it was just so many people would make fun of me. So many African people would be like, why do you like Michael Jackson? Why? He's just weird. So we are. I
1: hate when I hear that. That's what it tells me that, again, a lot of people are not true music listeners Mm -hmm. and If you're not listening to the music, then you're able to make just such a brush handed statement like that, because that's just an indication that you're not listening. Because if you're listening, you're going to hear all of the other inspirations. You you can hear the talent, the vocal range, the the actual gift. It's not just something that was created. It's not machinery. You know, Mm -hmm. Michael and Prince were artists. They took their life and put it all into their music. And that's not nothing to be brushed off in. But people do that because, again, they're just going on what's quick. So they eat, you know, Wendy's and McDonald's and, you know, <laughs> the things that are just easy. I, that's, I'm just saying, nothing. I'm just saying, those are allegorical ways of saying they're just listening to pop crap. Mm-hmm. And their ideas of what you're supposed to look like are influenced by colonial agendas.
0: Yes, absolutely. So you think that Prince and Michael contributed to a lot of this? And to what degree or percentage do you think they did, if you think they did? To what degree do you think they allowed for that erasure to happen?
1: Of their blackness? Yes. Oh, um, to the to the degrees in which it was sometimes beneficial, like music videos. And I think sometimes aesthetic purposes, knowing that. You know, a lot of artists and they're still doing it now. They know their market and they say, "Okay, well, if we take this away and give them this instead it's better for the profit. So I think in times of it just being more beneficial. Mm -hmm. um, But that's I don't know how verifiable that is. I just think they probably did it (laughs) because it just seems easier. But um, I don't know. I think, I don't know, and I also would say that I think they believed, this is what I would really say, I do think that they believed themselves to be what they were, and they carried themselves in that confidence, and that they didn't waver. I don't think it was like a questionable thing for them to just be real with who they were, and I don't think they saw themselves as less than. If anything, there's this one speech Prince gave to some award show, and he's telling the people listening that, you know, you need to know that you all invented the music. Like, don't feel like they own you, all of that, you know, like Mm. this is, this is your game. You, you call the shots, your royalty, you know, and that's the kind of stuff. That's the kind of ideas I think Michael had in Prince Mm -hmm. as well. Like they knew that they were the real deal, that they weren't something that could be recreated or reconfigured. Like the quote is often imitated, but never duplicated, (laughs) you know, um, so they were pretty confident, even in the interview with Tavis Smiley, when Prince is like, Well, because I'm great. That's why.
0: Because I'm great.
1: <laughs> you know? And like,
0: that, that's actually when Prince echoed his song Golden Parachute in that same speech. Mm, he said, I think exactly. he's, I have two words Golden Parachute. Look oh, it yeah, up that's a song. Like that. That's what he said.
1: Two words Golden Parachute. <laughs> Here's $50 million. Go and leave us alone. yeah
0: and so i think that song is perfect to talk about how they wanted to market him by erasing his african sensibility and he refused to do that and there was a certain point i think purple rain was that highest point where he really did have to ask that question what is going on do i want to erase that sensibility yes we created all of this But now I'm at a point where if I don't move in this other direction, who I am as a person and as an African man is going to be erased. Mm -hmm. I can't let that happen. Even though Sly and the Family Stone in particular had a multi-ethnic, multi-gendered band, people still looked at the revolution as being white. Just how they were written about. Mm -hmm. And you had... You Wendy Lisa Doctor Fink you had Bobby Z you I mean you had all these people that are majority white band and that was the first time that Prince kind of pro- had this pronounced band with him and they were mostly white. You had the time you had all these bands that were not white and then Prince comes out with his own band because before you had Dirty Mind and all this yes but people still didn't know the band like that but then he has a revolution that majority white. And you had brown mark and Prince, it was like, okay,
2: yeah, what's going on
0: <laughs> yeah, so brown so Martin. people did look at Purp or Prince as being this head of this white band, but then you had m p g it was just like what's up fits up in the air?" and people just didn't know what to do with that,
1: mm-hmm. and yeah, so what to do with the MPG. yeah like.
0: Ooh. So, I mean, M- but he M- let G the was revolution like
1: go right after Under the Cherry Moon. That was the last thing right. he did with the revolution. That was their mm-hmm. goodbye. Black and white. Right. New chapter. Then, <laughs> here we got Sign of the Times. Right. And it's like, all right, Wally, where you at? Cat? You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> like, he didn't have, shit, the only person who stayed was Fink. Right. Because everybody else was gone. New cleanup. And it was, you know, you got, Bonnie? Bonnie? Right.
0: are <laughs> you know, like, what the hell is this? We need, you have to go back. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> exactly. But you see all these people saying the revolution was his best band. That's people right. are like,
1: Dead well, I don't know about the say MPG. That, listen, let me tell you something. Prince introduced the MPG in 1988. That makes 30 years this mm-hmm. year. It's been 30 years since Prince pronounced the new power generation and started with his 10th album, Love Sexy. Mm -hmm. And that's the album. And he's maintained the MPG his whole career. It never changed. You see, the revolution was just what, three years, if that?
2: Mm -hmm. Two two and a
1: half years even? So like, that was it. (laughs) And, 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 And the MPG changed over the years. But one thing maintained that he he maintained about it was that i'll always be able to improvise the revolution could not improvise the revolution didn't have that improvise the
0: improvisation
1: um, improvisational skill that he learned from his father and just him in general like prince studied jazz and really liked herbie hancock and that's just his general you know musings and the revolution couldn't do that but the mpg Mm -hmm. he hired musicians that did that and that's the thing about the new power generation all the people who were a part of the new power generation had their own thing. Rosie Gaines was famous before. It's not like yes. Prince, you know, did. She was. Our, she already had her own thing. Levi, right. he already had his own thing. And it's all about doing your own thing. This is right. you have the power to do it instead of being contrived. So when people say stuff like that, like the revolution, are you kidding me? <laughs> I'm not taking away from the revolution. Keep in mind, but I am saying that they are in no way connected in comparison to the new power generation.
0: Well, even you had with the revolution, especially around the world in the day era, and uh, uh, even a little before that, you had Sheila E who was a jazz musician and a quote Latin jazz musician. And then of course Fink was, he, did some jazz so he kept people like that he, he always it, kept people around who yeah, right because primarily he was a jazz artist people don't even know that but that's what he did and you had the b-sides i'm gonna maintain that under cherry moon is a jazz album i don't care what anybody says which is why it's my favorite prince album of the revolution era it always will be it is a jazz album <laughs> And I would then, totally
1: agree with that. I just heard it again, and it is one of my favorite albums because, in context of all of it, it's just it's amazing. Like just yeah. the first three tracks, "New Position," mm-hmm. you know, "Life Can Be So Nice." All of it just it goes in so well. And if you were to take away all of the words, or just right. listen to "Venus De Milo," mm. you know, you're like, oh mm. yeah, yes. I can. It's just, I'm so yes. so yes. put there with that one.
0: Yes. Yeah. And D'Angelo did a wonderful cover of it. If you oh yeah, it. I have a,
1: I have it. It's really good. <laughs> of
0: course you do. Of course you have of it. Of course.
1: <laughs> that's one of the first things I remember getting from somebody.
0: <laughs> but that's the thing. People do not acknowledge these aspects of variety of, of African centeredness, if you will, or an African personality. And people want him to always be using the Lindrums, because that's what people think of when they think Prince. Oh, the Lindrums, or they want the revolution where the drums are just really simple. And that was Prince working his way and trying to find his personality and saying, okay. And then Purple Rain was the pinnacle of finding that aspect of his personality. And he was a Gemini. So he's just like, okay, it's time for me to do something else. And he did New Power Generation. But then before that, it was Sign of the Times. He said, "Okay, I'm going to use some of the stuff I did with Wendy and Lisa, etc. But I'm also working with these other people at this time. And some of the songs are Me By Myself. And that's okay. I mean, the first album was Me By Myself, too. So what's the problem?
1: What's the problem?
0: (laughs) (laughs) And then he did Batman, which was like could do this whole thing in my sleep with one hand behind my back and with my foot and what are you going to do about it so he could just do whatever he wanted and he put soul in the batman soundtrack which you never heard after that <laughs> before that so he could just do whatever he wanted and that's why i think when people limit him and say well, it's just the revolution. That's the best band. And New Power Generation is just boring. And I'm also going to say Diamonds or Pearls is a jazz album if you listen mm. closely to that. yeah, definitely. And that is probably during the Warner Brothers period with New Power Generation is my favorite album.
1: Because
0: yeah. it is essentially a jazz album. And I just am more partial to when Prince does jazz.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, no. I mean, hence we <laughs> talked about one night alone and the rainbow children because that's when he really our expectation that's one of my favorite jazz albums
0: as well Well, you know that you you introduced me to the album and i love you for that (laughs) yes you were like you like jazz here's six fatales like what what is this what is right
1: (laughs) you couldn't even she didn't even know what it was it's like this is the album that he and you know what's so sweet about that album is it came back in the form of that judith hill album because as mm-hmm. trains go by, he brought back that... And that's the title track, <laughs> Expectation. So, like, just that he... You know, I like that he would sometimes recycle his um right. old <laughs> songs, but there's so much to listen to, and we've got options. And Prince made it easy when he had you know songs that were in the jazz register even madhouse you know i'm not sure why that's not Whoa. on any streaming services wow. i ain't it's getting not. that no huh? it's not they i mean they're talking about all of the i mean that was when he was oh, it's probably a one brother's thing that's probably not gonna come till 2021 actually
0: <laughs> yeah, but the other, there have been other releases though right
1: yeah but i think you know with that one it was a unique release because Mm-hmm. It was not released under his name. It was just released oh, right, under Madhouse. Right. Not right. that... At yeah. one time, actually, last year, there was a brief glitch where it was on Spotify for a while.
0: <laughs> but then they <laughs> took it off.
1: So I what? don't know. Yeah. So I'm not sure what the deal is with it. I'm going to have to see what's going on with that.
0: Yeah. Okay. So, you want to talk about actually balance? It was him and Eric Leeds. So, you went 50 50 balance, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> there it exactly. is. Exactly. And so, go. people didn't even, people slept on it. So, oh, it's jazz. And people didn't know it was Prince. But, yeah. Yo, know, Eric Leeds was, uh, okay, that's still the other thing. Eric Leeds was on parade. I'm like, there you go.
1: <laughs> yeah. There it and is. Eric Leeds has always kind of always been a visitor in prince's music from right. parade to emancipation to one night alone to right news i want to say that was the last <laughs> thing he did but I, he actually i saw him with his uh what was it eric Leeds and paul saint paul peterson they have a yeah. band called lp music and they performed at paisley park it's oh wow and that was pretty awesome and i did see them and uh-huh. they were pretty good so that just shows you that prince if he liked you if he He liked you around (laughs) (laughs) for certain projects you know and i'm glad that i was able to see because eric Leeds is pretty good him and st paul peterson were nice so i mean it's one thing to say that prince has evolved Mm and you know throughout his career and that's why again people focusing on it's one thing to say oh i really like the revolution and i you know because the revolution i'm not taking away anything from the musicians and from what that was, you know, I'm not here to say that, oh, I don't like it. Because there are some songs that I do like. And right. you know, musicians, <laughs> they're all a part of the one song. It's still prints at the end of the day, is mm-hmm. you know. But if you're going on what the concept is, or even if you're just considering the longevity of a concept, then you say, Okay, yeah, it was great what he did with the revolution, Sign of the Times was still good too as Mm -hmm. well as what he did in the 90s and other periods even if you don't like it you can't you got to acknowledge the progress and the diversity you know throughout the years and when it comes around it's not so bad
0: and I'll say that St. Paul Peterson was the one white guy I've ever heard to almost mirror Prince's voice not 1 billion percent, but it was pretty close. Screams like, of Passion? Yeah, pretty good job. table piece.
1: <laughs> Are you speaking and of uh, Screams of Passion?
0: Yeah, just that whole yeah. the whole album, The Family. I was like, okay, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. okay, well, okay. And I am That's partial. a great album, by the way. Yeah, I a lot album. of people hate their version of Nothing Compares to You. I think it's the best one. I'm partial to that one. A lot of people say no. Shenaniel Connor's version is the best one. I, like I actually Shanae like O'Connor's the family versions
1: well. too. The
0: family that I like the, it fact, the best.
1: Again, the family. That's a really good album. I really mm-hmm. like that album, and I do yeah. like their version of Nothing Compares to You. And I do prefer it over. Well, then Prince's version came out.
0: Yeah, I like, I prefer I, the families to his too. Obviously.
1: I yeah. I liked his version just as much.
0: I can appreciate uh, all of it. It's I don't, not like I say I don't. <laughs> I don't, <know>, I do <laughs> But there was one he did, and I think you sent it to me, where it was just him, and I said, okay, okay. Uh, that's what right. I'm talking about. Oh, okay. I'm not talking one,
1: about the one that he put on the hits with... Uh, oh,
0: oh, that's what, with, that, okay, because that's what I about. He
1: put about, one out, like, no, nah, he nah. put one out with Rosie, no, no, no.
0: Okay, no. that's what I thought I don't
1: even listen about. to that one
0: yeah
1: I was like, <laughs> like okay. right, okay. not that I can yeah see that's the thing mm-hmm. he's done that okay. song so many times, so when the one that they just put out was on his most recent, you know, nothing compares to you single, okay. and um, yeah, it's just him, and that was the original one he had guitars over, it was a different mix and everything right I really like that version and <laughs> so before that, I would say, and this is getting into bootleg category, but um mm-hmm. it would have been a version he did in Montreux two thousand and nine.
0: Which, I think that's the one I heard. That's the one I heard.
1: You sure? That one the, in 2009? The one you get in my truck? Okay.
0: Uh, it may have been that one. But it was just him, of course, with a band. And I was like, okay. Oh, okay. Yeah.
1: I, yeah, so. yeah. that Right. <laughs> that version is really good because he's kind of strange. You can just see he's into it and I can, mm-hmm. I can deal with that one. But
0: that's one of those songs that would be played and like, oh, here we go. But yeah, the Sinead O'Connor version I actually liked. And and I think it's because she felt something. Her mother had just transcended and or at some point so she was processing that. So I felt that when she did it. And I liked how she did it. A lot of people hated it. Mm-hmm. I liked it. And well, I did not yeah, I... I did not like the version with Rosie Gaines. That could just go somewhere else. Uh and... hmm uh-huh. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, no <laughs> but I wanted to say the thing people don't think about and I've hardly seen a conversation about was here's this African man Prince Rogers Nelson basically control so much of the Minneapolis music scene you had uh uh the Lemonhead no they're from Boston but no, it's uh, what's the other band? Soul Asylum, like those kind of mm-hmm. bands. Yeah. Like you know, that's also oh, Minneapolis. Michael and, B then...
1: is, and he performs with them now. Really? He's His former drummer, yeah, Michael B. Ah, He's with Soul Asylum. and wh- then
0: what's the what's the other uh, Minneapolis? The replacements, like that kind of stuff. You had that scene, but then there's Prince, who controlled so much of the Minneapolis music scene. How many people can say that as a man of African descent can have all of these people, these white people, in the palm of his hand. All right. How many people can say that? And then you know, people are talking about oh, Prince, Minneapolis. Nobody, nobody, unless you knew who they were, were talking about the replacements. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like I know the replacements are, but most yeah. people who listen to Prince probably like, who is that? Or Like, nobody knows who those bands are unless you know who they are. And so that just showed how much influence and how much sway Prince had. And the same thing with Michael Jackson. When he acquired the ATV catalog, nobody could say nothing to him. So you had these two African men that had so much sway in the industry. And Michael Jackson purchased a catalog as an individual, which was unheard of before. So he angered so many people, including Paul McCartney. <laughs> and nobody had done that before. And so, of course, both of them were going to be targeted because that's not what you're supposed to do. And to have, you know, Prince front some revolutionary majority of them were European descent. Are you getting me? Who did that? Who did that? <laughs> Who did that and got to that level of prominence?
1: Yeah, crickets. <laughs> crickets. And on that note, I think we really went in with the, um, the relations and connections.
0: Um, yeah, the, the generational one, though, it just troubles me very much because all these people, I grew up with Michael, this and that. But when he was asking for help, people didn't help him. People, we're like, oh, well, he just wants to be white. And here people just made fun of him. The limitations we have on people. I One thing I wanted to say, though, was a lot of European folks who are fans of Michael. <laughs> they, the dynamics are so interesting. One thing that was really interesting to see this is it and have so many people come to his defense for being in a position of weakness I'm wondering if that was some level of subconscious racism or white supremacy because you look at previous rehearsal tapes the dude was like I want more voice more levels and moved on and he said okay do this kept it moving. race's voice kept it moving. He didn't apologize for raising his voice at people. Then you had in 2005 during the trial, he was getting ready to get out the car until Janet stopped him to be some dude down. He wasn't apologizing for that. And you have all of these things when he was in the Geraldo interview. He wasn't raising his voice, but he threw some shade and cursed people out. And he didn't apologize for that. So to say, oh, you know, all he was doing when he was correcting people was apologizing to make them more relaxed and to feel comfortable. To me, that's some subconscious level of racism and white supremacy right there. Because when has Michael Jackson ever apologized for correcting and raising his voice at people? I've personally never seen it. And there are people who were behind the scenes working on the set with him. And he he would curse his brothers out. He would curse other people out. So to say that that's something that he was doing to make people relax, to me, that's more evidence that he was in a position of weakness where he had to back down and apologize in order to make people comfortable. So that showed he was not in a position of power like people say he was or assume he was. And I think people took joy out of that in a lot of ways. I'm not saying everyone who said, oh, that was really nice that he apologized. But I think on some level, some people took joy out of seeing an African man in a position of weakness, even though they say they were fans, they still are like, ha, (laughs) he is on this level where finally we got him. You got him. That's just how I feel about it. I think people really have praised this movie because they got joy out of seeing him in that position. What do you think of that, Jesse?
1: I totally validate what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, you you really went into the nuances, and um, I can see that. It's a, it's a whole new level of um, thought when you really think of the details of just kind of how they navigate it, you know?
0: Mm -hmm.
1: In a world that placed all of those barriers
0: But just to see Michael At this point where everyone said Oh he's on the top Mm -hmm. And to have a movie To portray him in a point of weakness I think that is a huge sign of racism I know people are going to go Oh you're playing the race card But you, you have to look at how he was positioned And people were saying Oh Well, he had a hand in making decisions. Where? Show me the clips where he was sitting at the table negotiating. Show me those clips where he wasn't apologizing and cowering. Show me those clips where he had some leverage. I want to see those clips and then I'll be proven wrong, I guess. But that is not what I saw in the official release of the film. Maybe it's in the DVD extras. Show me those. I don't know. but. I'm looking at Sony, I'm looking at the executives at AEG saying, ha, we got him, we got him. He no longer has this position of power like, A, he thought he did, and B, he used to. We got him. And a lot of people who reviewed the film, I think, took joy out of that. I think a lot of the people who watched the film also did not follow Michael Jackson's career. A lot of people who reviewed the film in a glowing light did not know how he worked. They just looked at this and went, okay, this is great. They didn't know any of the musicians. They didn't know anybody in the crew. They weren't aware that Kenny Ortega had directed previous tours with Michael. They knew nothing. All they saw was this film and he was in a position of weakness. And I really do think people got joy out of that. Some people really did because now this is payback for him purchasing the ATV catalog, or some people call it the Beals catalog. This is payback for all of these years of him being on this level. And now our people are on the top again. I don't know. I don't know what people are thinking, but I feel like there is this subconscious thing that people got joy out of it. And people like Roger Ebert, it, all of these people who are supposedly film reviewers and film critics, they didn't even watch the film they didn't even talk about the cinematography they didn't talk about the editing they didn't talk about any aspect of the film all the reviews were about oh Michael Jackson didn't appear sick oh he looked so well he could go on but that's not talking about the film so I really think people were so focused on Michael and his assumed level of power when he's still an employee of CBS slash Epic slash Sony For all of his adult life he was still an employee and his labor was exploited and then in 2001 2002 2003 he talked about that as being an african man and his labor being exploited and that's when he really started being open about it but all these people are like well it's too late now why didn't you say it before so people stopped paying attention to him i mean like oh you're you're just saying that because you're not successful anymore and i think sony exploited that and this is it, to me, is a pure sign of that. Where it's like, oh, oh, black man down, black man down. <laughs> I really think so it is, and they made millions of dollars off of that. Yeah.
1: So I well, have that's no a whole qualms. subject about the exploitation. Yeah. He was completely exploited. I don't think anyone should mm. deny
0: that. I have, I have no qualms with saying racism was a factor in this, how he was portrayed. Yeah, I have completely. no problem with that. Mm-mm. And racism has always been a factor in terms of CBS slash Sony uh, Miles Davis wrote a whole book about it. <laughs> yeah. So, and you oh, you got a whole episode about Miles Davis. He was. Yeah, so, we can go so, another on one. Cover, we I talk think.
1: about Duke Ellington. We can, oh. that's another curve. Talk about Miles Davis.
0: <laughs> and then even uh, uh, Billy Strayhorn, who worked with Duke Ellington. I mean, he at that time was an openly gay man. That was not a very common thing. And Cole Porter. But mm-hmm. you know, for someone of African descent who was openly gay, I mean you were relegated to particular clubs and but yeah. Billy Strayhorn being a primary songwriter with Duke Ellington, yeah, you know, he was one of the few who was prominent, who was who was open about being gay. So yeah. this one goes out to you too, Billy Strayhorn.
1: <laughs> it goes but to yeah. you too, yeah.
0: I'm not sure why despite them being of the same age, same generation Michael being open with who he was, having an African personality, having cues, having signifiers, people still deny and erase his Africanness. That is a question to the folks listening. Why is that? We talked about some of it, but why do you think that is? Do you think that's a thing at all? Do you think that happened with Prince? Why are these things happening? despite them being open in who they were? And why do we limit what being African is about? And I think that's really the crux of this argument. Being who they were, they were erased. And we have to figure this out, and we have to, in order to maintain their humanity or honor their humanity, we have to close this chapter and say, you know, they were who they were, and they were African men. And people not defending that, they're not really fans or appreciators. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Music and We. Any last words, Jesse?
1: Thank you guys for listening.
0: Appreciate it. Thank you.